This is Restless. Pastor Michael, it is the Restless Summer. We are doing some morning recording to uh, get ahead. And today we are uh, we are strapping on uh, for to ride into battle. Uh, and by that battle, I mean I am holding my first ever garage sale this weekend. I'm very excited about it. Awesome. Um, I I hope to be one of you know you know when you get to a garage sale and it's all like two T clothes with stains. Yep. So I don't know ninety percent of garage sales. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to have not that garage sale because uh, longtime listeners, patrons probably know Pastor Michael and I have been known to sell a few things on eBay. So I'm pulling out the stops, baby. I'm pricing vintage sports stuff to sell. I've got some. I've, I'm hoping to have the kind of stuff that'll be uh, that uh, that's at least fun to see at a garage sale. Um, Definitely, yeah. The last year when we did a garage sale, I had so much stuff that I got to offload, and it was great. And the nice thing is, if you've been doing reselling, you can just like you can price it at nothing at this point. Like once it gets to garage sale time, it means that well, this didn't sell. I've made money on other things. I just need to move it and get it out of here. And yep. people love you for it. Like, they're yep. like, I can't believe I'm getting this so cheap. Yep. It is great. But today we have, um, we have a duty um, that, that I, that people have noticed uh, from me, Pastor Michael, in the past few months of the podcast. Um, there have been a few moments in, in, in the past months of the podcast where I have made offhanded comments about a distaste for a doctrine which i have never explained or mentioned called full preterism or hyper preterism uh and i've actually had people reach out and say hey that was interesting when you ended a podcast with i don't remember what i exactly how i ended it but uh <laughs> I, I don't remember either but i remember you saying it and then just laughing because yep. you just threw it in there but it seems that there is this uh there is this there is this uh, strange doctrine out there of something called full preterism, which we'll explain and we'll explain why it is uh, getting a little play recently in some Calvinist circles near you here on the Restless podcast, a postmortem on the Young, Restless and Reform. And we also follow up with where Young, Restless and Reform people tend to be, things they tend to listen to. And I think preterism is kind of part of it. So, Pastor Michael, as our the podcast resident pre preterist though not full preterist um will you f let's start by can you give people a working definition of what preterism is yeah so so preterism on a general level is the idea that some most or in the in terms of hyper preterism all um prophecies within the new testament um speaking usually, uh, you know, having to do in some way of about uh, eschatology, um, having something to do with eschatology um, and the end, that these are things that have already been fulfilled. And generally, uh, we'll say that these are things that were fulfilled uh, within the first generation of Christians by 70 AD um, with the destruction of Jerusalem and specifically the temple. So this is, you know, for instance, when we talk about, when we look at, and there's, there is general agreement, I would say, in the reform world that there is some kind, there are prophecies in the New Testament that were fulfilled in the destruction of the temple, right? So everybody basically agrees at that point. Um, there might be some, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty positive that most agree. 
right? So for instance, the Olivet Discourse, um, Jesus in Matthew 24 um, talks about uh, that they're ta he's talking to the disciples about the temple, um, what's going to happen to the temple. Um, and he talks to them of this coming destruction of this temple. And there's, there's general agreement within the reformed world that some of this at least is actually speaking about the destruction of the temple. Um, and then the, you know, there, there's maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, scale or there's, there's differences of opinion then how many um, new Testament prophecies are in that category? How many of the prophecies in the new Testament are about something that is still future to us and how many of them are something that was future to the apostles and to the churches when they were given, uh, but has now been fulfilled. Mm. Um, but preterism is a general idea that many of those things at least have been fulfilled already. Right. And so, yeah, in the most general terms, it is prophecies Jesus made that were future to him, as Michael said, and the apostles and passed to us. Yes. Now, what Pastor Michael helpfully added is that preterists place a very high importance on these prophecies and most of them relating to the destruction of Jerusalem, yep. not to like World War II or like yes. other events in history, but this specific um, destruction of the temple, uh, destruction of Jerusalem. Um, Pastor Michael, why is the why would uh, you a preterist and that you would fall into this camp that at yep. least some of the New Testament? Yeah, I would describe myself um, because hyper preterism is evidently in the water. <laughs> I would describe myself as a as a partial preterist, right? right. So I and I probably a I don't know a strong partial preterist in that basically if I come to a prophecy in the New Testament, my assumption is that unless I can otherwise show it. I think it's probably something that was fulfilled by 70 AD. Now, cool. not all of them fit into that category. Not everything that's spoken of in the New Testament fits into that category. And so that's why I say I'm a partial preterist, because I think that that it has a lot of explanatory power in the interpretation of the text of Scripture. Um, but it does not speak. Uh, it's not everything. Right. It doesn't cover everything. Yes. So let me add one thing to what um uh michael just said um this this is one of the 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 differences that would probably be between me and him is that um that preterism the way he just described reading the new testament is the general way um preterists read the new testament now he's a partial preterist and we will learn why that is a very important distinction um in a moment right but he is describing that he sees much of the New Testament as um, fulfilled in, um, in, in 70 AD. And I'm going to ask him why that's such an important event in a moment. But I just want to give it examples of like things you may not, un you may not have realized that people. Um, and so again, this is what's important. A preterist is someone who takes the reading he's saying. It's not that I exclude any passage referring to 70 AD. It's that 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 is not I don't view it as a primary way of thinking through uh, much many texts of the New Testament. Now, there are some that clearly reference it. And in those cases, um, we would be in total agreement. Yep. Um, but right. There are preterists, um, famous preterists. Um, Greg Bonson would be one. 
Um, do you want to list any others, Pastor Michael, before I... Well, famous, like, you know, I don't know, modern preterists um, is basically anybody in the resurgence of, you know, post-millennialism um, in the last, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, generally, they're going to take a pretty strong preterist take. Um, preterism also, by the way, like you can find a very significant preterism throughout, uh, you know, a large portion of of the Reformed theological tradition. Um, again, there's going to be differences in how far you go with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so that's that's going to be a key distinction. Yeah. Um, but on a on a just general level, I think this is important to uh, point out because a lot of people growing up in the U.S. where, you know, um, dispensational premillennialism has for a long time been pretty dominant in the eschatological world. Um, might not recognize that actually, no, there's, I mean, throughout most of the history of the church, there's been a significant emphasis on um, certain passages of scripture having already been fulfilled, right? So not everything in the New Testament that speaks of future events is talking about something that's future to us. It's right. it's referring to something else. Right. And, um, and so, but where preterists become unique is that now, and again, they don't agree on all of these passages, right? This isn't a, there isn't a list on if you believe these things are um, uh, fulfilled before us, you're a preterist or you can't be. Now, there is a list of things that make you a full preterist, which we will get to in a moment. But right, these would include, as Pastor Michael said, the entirety of the Olivet Discourse. Uh, virtually every preterist says that's all fulfilled, which I would not agree with, but that's another a topic for another time. And I would say, the majority, this would be where I will take it, the majority of Reformed teachers today would not view all of the Olivet Discourse as fulfilled, whereas mm-hmm. preterists would. Um, yep. Some preterists would say the majority, though not all, of Revelation has been fulfilled. Um, and then there would be questions in epistles like Thessalonians. Is Paul referring to certain events? Some of the events Paul is referring to are some of those past yep. uh, now to us, even if they were future to the Thessalonians. Um, is there any other big, big ones that you think of off the top of your head? Um, not off the top of my head. Uh, okay. I can't think of those are the, the main only, ones that I would. The only through. other, the only other one that I, I can think of off the top of my head is sometimes when there is a discussion of the ages, yep. like the end of the ages is coming. Yeah, up. when it talks about the end of the ages, the age to come, um, when it's, these sorts of phrases are used. Most preterists view those as a, uh, as a referent to the end of the Jewish age, right? The end of the age of the Old Covenant, where the right. people were a national people, and the age to come being the one we're living in, um, which would probably be the and again my point here isn't to disagree with preterism things but that would probably be one of the views that i would be uh, in most disagreement with but that's not the point so i will explain um so pastor michael explain to us the importance of 70 ad in in why that's for you so important about reading theology i want to then take a moment to defend why preterism Two people, as Michael said, who have grown up in America is actually so attractive and yes. uh, in some ways is helpful since I'm the one yes. who holds to it, if any, much less than you. Yeah. I um, mean, then we'll go into uh, where maybe it can start to get silly after that. So tell yeah, us absolutely. why AD is important. I'll say why it's attractive and then we'll go on. 
Yeah. So um, in 70 AD, the Romans besieged Jerusalem. Um, well, they besieged it. They started to besiege it uh, a bit before. And then uh, the temple was destroyed. Uh, and uh, it has never been rebuilt. Uh, but it, this was a cataclysmic moment um, in the history uh, of Jerusalem. And not only that, but it was a, a cataclysmic moment in a lot of ways for Christians as well. Christians who um, at the time, we know historically saw this as a fulfillment of Jesus' prediction uh, in the Olivet Discourse about what was going to happen. And so they fled into the mountains. Um, there is no record of a single Christian dying in uh, in the siege of Jerusalem. Interestingly enough, I, that doesn't mean that none did, and that wouldn't change my position at all. But it's just an interesting historical fact uh, that this that this happened. Uh, but but uh, Jesus talks about the temple um, being something that was going to be destroyed because a new temple was set up by God, right? The temple that is Christ himself, right? He is the temple that was torn down and was rebuilt in three days. And uh, the, the moment of the destruction of the temple becomes very important then historically and within the, the history of the church because it is a, a visible, clear um you know, judgment by God on those who had rejected him, but also a sign that that old covenant, the old covenant order is no more, right? It is, it is done. It was built around the temple, but a new temple has come. And so that, that is no more. Um, and so that's why this, this becomes a, a very important thing. And obviously you see that throughout the new Testament, which is why everybody, uh, almost everybody, not everybody, but everybody in our circles, there's going to be some general agreement that this is a very important moment in the in history, and it is something that is spoken of in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So this is this is um, this is this is part of the thing with that Michael and I find agreement on, as Michael said, most people would. Right. When people ask me about like, well, you know, what about people who just remain Jewish or these kinds of things? The answer is after 70 AD, no one did. There was no temple. There were no priests. There was no sacrifices. In what sense is there a Jewish religion anymore? Mm -hmm. There just isn't. Like there, if you read Mos the Mosaic Law, there isn't a Jewish religion. This is why Hasidic Judaism had to come into existence, because these people who rejected the Messiah <clears throat> had to figure out a way to continue to practice Judaism without maybe the most defining characteristics of it, yep. right? And so here's what I actually think is most attractive for people coming out of the American last day's madness, uh, TM Gary DeMar. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, uh, um, uh, is most attractive about preterism. Michael or a preterist comes to you and explains passages this way. And this for this suddenly in this moment, you go, wow, you just explained this passage in a way that would have had relevance to the original audience. Yep. Because like it actually when, when it was spoken to the original audience, it actually meant something. That's right. It actually did. And you and go, they could understand. It wasn't talking about Black Hawk helicopters or what, <laughs> what have you, you know? <laughs> you go, oh, wow. You mean they weren't like, dang, the mark of the beast is Stalin. Holy cow. In, in 1950 years, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> Ooh, Yeah. That that it, it it brings to fore a very, very important um, hermeneutical principle that what is being spoken in these passages must have relevance 
to the original audience. To the original audience, yep. So this is this is what I think is so attractive about it. Yep. The thing where I would say, um, like, so what about that doesn't naturally lead to a more uh, a preterist reading necessarily? Is that is the natural um, is the natural uh, consequence and application to the original audience the fall of Jerusalem? That's the que- that's the actual question, and that's a relevant question. Um, but that is what's attractive about it and is actually what is often helpful about it for people is that it does help break people free of this idea that I have to invent all of these things yep. into the future. Yeah, you now, don't have to. This is I mean, so this is what happened to me. I I have Bibles from when I was was a, a newer believer and where I just wrote so many notes in the margins of places like in Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse where I was trying to figure out because everybody told me this is all something, all of it is something that is far in the future. Uh, And it's all speaking of something that may be being fulfilled right now in our days. And I have notes where I'm trying to figure this out. How is this like that? How is that? And I remember the first time I heard somebody uh, mention that, no, this could have been fulfilled in the destruction of the temple, which already happened. And I just, it just stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, wait a minute, that would make so much sense. That would fit everything that Jesus does. Um, and so uh, that was, it just had tremendous explanatory power to me. Um, and that's what was so, and like you're saying, it fit the way that we exegete every other passage, right? The way that we approach every other passage of the Bible that we don't directly see as something that's going to be in the end times, we do it this way. We see, okay, what would it have meant to the original audience? And maybe there is still obviously ways in which this applies to us. There's still ways that we we do uh, draw analogies from it. Maybe it speaks to something more than just that immediate uh, situation, but it is talking about an immediate situation. It is talking about something that's happening to these people, something that would be relevant to them. And so that that is that was just so striking to me because I had literally never been taught that that is an option. And so what we will, uh, maybe someday, if our patrons ever care, we can do a uh, another patreon episode where are purely presbyterian where we lightly disagree over certain readings we could do that sometime that'd be fun that would be fun i would enjoy it but pastor michael answer us this question where does preterism begin to get silly and you might also include i'm including silly because the idea I, i think entailed are silly you could also say dangerous because yeah, right. the ideas get this bad. Right. Um, so any point of theology, when it is taken to be everything, right? when it becomes everything, and it's the lens th- through which you see everything, has the potential to destroy Christianity. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but it it's just true that anything taken as the sum total of everything um, that that disregards the rest of biblical doctrine is in danger of destroying the rest of the faith, right? It because uh, God, as He has given us the truth, it's not. It is multifaceted. It's not something that comes to us as here's this one statement, this one idea, and it solves everything for you. Um, it's it's all connected, but it is multifaceted. This is why we have, you know, over time, the creation of creeds and confessions and systematic theologies, because it's not enough to just say, 
yeah, I can sum up the faith in one word. We've talked a lot about how, you know, I can't just, you know, uh, say that, that we've talked about this in the Apostles' Creed series that we started. Um, there, there is a good to be able to get the different categories from Scripture um, through which then we think about everything else. And what happens with almost any point, again, of, of systematic theology is when any one point is taken as the sum total, it can just distort everything. So if eschatology is your thing, that's all you want to think about, right? Like that's everything. It can it can begin to to blot out a lot of the other teachings of scripture in a way. And so with preterism, like anything else, it can do that, right? So um, if you learn, oh, there's something called the destruction of the temple that happened in 70 AD and it it like solves for me certain passages of scripture. It speaks of certain passages of scripture. You may take that to an extreme where then you start to say, does that mean that everything that the New Testament speaks about is finished and complete? Okay, what about the final resurrection? What about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead with a physical but spiritual body and he said, uh, or we're told rather, that he is the first fruits of those who believe and that just as he was raised, so we will be raised someday. Did that happen already too? Um, what about the final judgment? When it speaks, when we're told about the final judgment in the book of Revelation, is that speaking about something that already took place? That it, That's actually just talking about a limited judgment on this per, in this particular place at this particular time and that's all done and once you start going down that road and making you know basically you get 70 ad brain <laughs> and like everything becomes about that that's when you actually start to lose the plot really significantly uh, because you start to have to deny certain core tenets of christianity as they're spelled out in places like the apostles creed yeah, with with preterism, the adjectives you use for it are 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 where all the importance lies. Yes. So Master Michael said he's a partial preterist. There are other people who call themselves things like a consistent preterist. Ooh, that's a <laughs> or a covenant preterist. Um and um and I, I some of them might use the term full preterist. Almost none of them take the term hyper preterist because that already we can already tell right, it has a negative connotation. Right. But what these people hold is that virtually everything prophesied in the New Testament has already taken place, at least when it comes to uh, central doctrines that we all hold to be future to us. So. We are going to dive into an example of someone seemingly moving from partial preterism to full preterism. So you get the idea because what I really want for you is I want you to run from full preterism. I want yeah. you to, I want, I do not want it to be left. Uh, yeah. Like, um, I would, I would so much rather if like, if you are a, a premillennialist and you uh, have discovered this idea of preterism, I would rather you remain a premillennialist than go and become a hyper preterist. 
right? Like I, I do think that partial preterism is actually the way we should read scripture. I think it's, it's got incredible explanatory power. And I think that if it leads you to deny the final resurrection of the dead, um, then you have literally like walked away from Christianity. So, so don't do that. That's not worth it. Right. Um, Being right in certain particulars is not worth losing your soul. That's right. You are defi- you are a definable heretic. And speaking of definable heretics, uh, let's speak about <laughs> Harry Dawn, fellow, a fellow RTS grad like myself. Um, <laughs> he is famous. He is a famous popularizer of preterism in apparently now all forms. Um, he is a famous popularizer of postmillennialism. He is a famous popularizer of theonomy, theonomic ethics. Uh, he is a famous popularizer of like very Christian understandings of Americans' history and founding. Um, and recently, he has been saying lots of things online that have made people sympathetic to him. Not not his critics, not the people who wrote him off the moment he said theonomy. People who are who have who professedly have learned from him, enjoy him to go, whoa, it seems like you're making, you're making a shift, right? Um, And so uh, one of the people involved in this was a man named Andrew Sandlin, who was a student of John Frame, who was involved in this letter. And they wrote him a public open letter. Now, what I want, I, I think what's really interesting is all the people on this letter are kind of the like odd ducks, and slightly outside of the reformed mainstream. So it's not that these, none of these people are uncomfortable with you not being in the reformed mainstream, right? Right. Isn't the like, you must hold this the way we do in Westminster seminary. And if you don't, you're done, right? This is like, these people are okay with you innovating. And that is why some of them in various ways are frustrating to read because they're like, Hey, we're just throwing out this thing. Cause we're going to try it. Right. And so the, the reason I bring that up is because when they're willing to, when they're those kinds of people and they're that kind of personality, when they're like, Whoa, 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 that tells you like, uh, there must be something big going on because the people who are okay with innovation are like, Hey, we're noticing the innovating you're doing, and it looks really bad from close up, from knowing you well, having read most everything you've written, right? Right. And this has come after, I believe, anyway, this letter was written after there was already, you know, questions, concerns, you know, people reaching out to him, uh, you know, interested in knowing. So, again, there, this isn't like you're saying people that are just trying to get him. These are people that basically have always agreed with him or thought that they did worried about the direction that he's going. Right. And so here's a few things from the letter. And because what I really want to set up are the questions they are asking him to affirm. And so what I want the listener to think, if you haven't read the letter, I'll get it in the show notes. When I get to the questions, I want you to think about how hard are these questions to answer? Just how hard, like how much time would it take you Could you find verses to answer these questions that they're going to ask this man who one of his main subjects of supposed expertise is eschatology? 
It's his okay. only thing, right? I mean, or I shouldn't say his only thing because, like you said, he does a lot with history in general. Um, yeah. But basically, his main thing has always been eschatology. From the beginning, he got into Christian ministry built around responding to dispensationalists, basically. So we are writing you once again with an earnest plea regarding your doctrinal transitioning that we are witnessing. Gary, we seriously and deeply hope that you will receive this from a deeply burdened hearts, that you will respond to us as those who love you in the Lord and have appreciated your public ministry. Um, as you know from our previous correspondence, we are deeply concerned over the eschatological direction you seem to be taking up late. Andrew Sadlin heard you speak at a conference in Texas about a year ago. And at that time, he was surprised that you would not acknowledge whether you believe in a future final judgment and a future physical resurrection of the dead. When asked, you stated that you would not call full preterists heretics. Um, due to certain statements you made publicly on Facebook, Ken Gentry asked you about to affirm uh, three simple basic doctrinal positions. These questions have intentionally been kept limited. Uh, in order to avoid entangling interaction with the many variations and permutations of full preterism. Though uh, those simple yes or no questions have now been simplified and clarified anymore, even more. All right, everyone, here are the three questions. And after I ask them, we will, we will ask pastor Michael uh, to respond to them as our, as our resident preterist. We'll see how hard they are for him to answer. Do you believe in a future bodily glorious return of Christ? Do you believe in a future general resurrection of the dead? Do you believe history will end with the final judgment of all men? Pastor Michael, I'd like you to just... Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes. So Obviously, as so a Christian who affirms the Apostles' Creed and who loves what the scripture says uh, about our future hope of glory in the return of Christ, yes. <laughs> So that took Pastor Michael one second to answer. I'm going to, Pastor Michael, as I read a little more of the letter, will you just find us one verse that you think might hit, hit a couple of those for us? Yes, um, already, already was thinking of it. So, right. so to, ref, to refuse to affirm the future physical resurrection, the final judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous, and um, the tactile reality of the eternal state is to refuse to affirm critical elements of the Christian faith. To contradict these doctrines is not merely to contradict a few biblical texts, as it is uh, to contradict indispensable parts of the Christian faith and biblical worldview. As blunt as it might seem, it is to strike at crucial aspects at the very heart of the Christian faith. So um, then they have a, another thing listing the signatories, people like John Frame. Um, you're going to hear all the post-millennial people you've ever heard of, Jeff, Jeff Durbin, uh, John Frame, Ken Gentry. Brian Matson, Andrew Sandlin, James White, Doug Wilson, right? So again, all these oddballs banded together to write this letter to this guy they like. So, Pastor Michael, give us one of your passages. So, um, first, we would just point to the resurrection of Christ, uh, where he, uh, for uh, some time, uh, you know, came and appeared to the disciples, and they touched him, right? And John, by the way, at the beginning of First John, goes into. Um, just the the like physical reality, the apostles' interaction with Jesus, that they touched him, right? They felt him, they they uh, heard him, they were with him. And then when Christ ascends into heaven, 
um, after, you know, the, the disciples are standing looking up. This is in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 11. Um, some angels appear. They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Uh, likewise, then, I mean, this is just the, the testimony all over the place, right? All over the New Testament, speaking yep. about the return of, of Christ. Uh, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that um, just as Christ has been raised from the dead, he is the first fruits. And so also uh, will uh, everybody who is in him uh, be, be raised from the dead to be like him, given a, a spiritual body as, as he did. Um, and then, you know, 1 uh, Thessalonians, rather, chapter 4, uh, we're told uh, for the, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Right. So the, and this is everywhere. Almost every epistle uh, speaks of this in some way. Yes. This so future this is... bodily glorious uh, return of Christ, the general resurrection of the dead. Uh, this, this is all something that everybody should be able to agree to and has always, like literally have always agreed to. Yes. This is central to the apostolic preaching, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a second. But let me just say like, dude, it, if you step to me on my hope that I get in Revelation 21 and 22, Dude, I'm coming back at you hard. Do not take from me my hope that God says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and he will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Neither yes. shall there be mourning or crying or pain for the before the former things have passed away he is seated at the throne says behold i am making all things new write this down for these things are trustworthy and true he, god wanted these things recorded so you would have hope and gary demar and nobody else gets to steal that hope from the christian church yeah. these are our words man like and it is a a it is an evil thing to take that from us it yeah. is bad. It is a, it is a, it's not a small thing. Now we might go as every Christian who wasn't familiar with this controversy or full preterism went, wow, I bet he was able to answer these questions pretty easily. Well, not nope. so fast. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm going to read two of his responses before we uh, move on. So um, this open letter went out and people were like, oh, where's the response? It doesn't seem like he's saying much. So here's the first. So he finally receipt made a public statement because basically people were like will he at least acknowledge he got the letter like we just want to know at this point <laughs> and so here was his public response yes i did get a le the le a letter yes andrew and i discussed the issues in some texts probably the text pastor and michael and i just referenced right probably these exact texts yes i was unwilling to affirm three questions that someone or some group came up with, right? Pastor Michael, somebody just invented these three questions to, to nail him, right? It's um, such a weird, it's just weird. Just be honest, man. Like if you're going to do that, this is people that uh, fly into heterodoxy and her heresy love to play this game where they're just like, 
like, well, I don't even know if these questions have any relevance or like who, who is it that could be asking these things, man, you're, you know, history, we Christians have always agreed to these. These are basic Christian doctrines of the end. Just admit that and admit that you're going away from it. Like just have, you know, a a little bit of, of even self-respect to be able to just say that. Right. You know where we saw this with actually the doctrine of the end the last time who did this? Rob Bell. Well, it's true. Let me take this moment on the Restless podcast to follow in the footsteps of a now retired YRR forefather. Farewell, Gary DeMar. We'll see you later. (laughs) So, and why why would he refuse to answer these questions? Well, he says that. Why? I believe it sets a bad precedent. What next set of questions will be? And from whom, especially on the topic of eschatology, where there is a great deal of inconsistency and ambiguity regarding the topic. A man man who has spent his whole life just speaking at conferences and answering questions after lectures is like, who's asking me questions? (laughs) It's just so goofy, man. It's so goofy. The people that I speak with and have published my books and that I have interviewed and shared a million hours of teaching with, right? More time should be set aside for study than for demands or accusations. I'm going to continue to ask questions, Rob Bell, study and work through the controversial topic. So this was, this is just like, what, you know, oh, what questions will we ask next? Like, are you joking? Like we could ask, is Jesus God? Is God the truth? <laughs> This is the Let's level just work of- through the Apostles' Creed. What of this, this don't you hold to? You know, like that's they are asking the most basic questions. Now, now let's say, even on like a we could say the most charitable way I could read that answer, though the next thing I'm going to read proves that, that is not the case. I'm going to try and believe the best about this guy. Yes. Let's say you're a person who's actually learned a good deal from him and you want to believe the best. Let's say he is going through a crisis of faith, basically, like a a Christian eschatological midlife crisis where, like, you are just shaken on believing core things. And that does happen to us. Right. That can happen. That will that could happen to you. And that and that doesn't again, that doesn't make you a bad person. That doesn't mean Matt is going to make a podcast where I throw you to the wolves and wish you farewell. I would rather spend time with you and pray with you and talk to you. But I, uh, this is, this, um, um, this was in a Facebook group and this screenshot has caught in fire. Now I saw this in a Facebook group when I was like, wow, I'm going to go try and I know there's a Facebook group I'm in. He's in, I'm going to go see what he's saying. And people were saying like, dude, this guy, this guy is denying everything. What are we doing? Like, this is really bad. And here was one of his responses that that just at this moment was was just was like the moment where it's like, I get, yeah, this is there's I got no more time for this. And I I checked out because it was no longer like, wow, what's happening? It was like, well, I know what's happening. Here was his response to someone voicing concern over his teaching and saying that he probably is dangerous. This is him. This is his his own account. I can't believe a grown man would talk like this on the internet. Who should know the internet exists and that everyone will see this no matter what? <laughs> like I, I've I've had this realization, like even with this like weird boycott target stuff. I'm like, 
does everyone sometimes does everyone have this moment where like they forget like oh the internet exists everyone on earth is going to see this and if i don't <laughs> and if i don't want that i've got to completely change what i'm doing it's just yep. weird to me people forget the internet exists so don't forget that there's a helpful tip for the day <clears throat> here we go oh no some christians believe they get a new body after they die rather than maybe tens of thousands of years in the future it's what i've heard pastors say at funerals three of them in the past year i guess we're all going to hell show me a verse that says when you die your spirit goes to heaven and at the second coming god will reconstitute your body that most likely no longer exists and join it to your disembodied spirit that's so depressing really seems like being a disembodied spirit for thousands of years would be depressing you must mean the third coming wasn't the second coming at 70 a.d or what hebrews 9 28 describes as the second time gentry at all says it was the nicene cream and westminster confession of faith makes no distinct mention of these comings so in this post he <laughs> oh boy he, res he responds i'm with just asking questions matt <laughs> he responds with contempt at the idea someone could be concerned for his soul and going to hell. He responds with contempt to the idea of your spirit immediately going to be with the Lord when you die. He then goes ahead and says, well, you're, t uh, and, and then he goes ahead and ends with a, so the Nicene Creed and the Westminster Confession of Faith really missed it. The end. Because three commentators agree with him on one verse in the book of Hebrews what yeah no that's not so this is what i i thought of on sunday um one of the passages that we used in our service was second corinthians 4 1 to 6 and i just want to read you the first couple of verses to remind you what like the teaching ministry of the apostles was like and what it was supposed to be right this is what what we do and i think that all ministers in in various ways and like bible teachers Right. This needs to be taken seriously. Therefore, Paul says, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Anytime that you have somebody that's unwilling to just have an open forum like just conversation or be willing to answer questions or like want to, instead of responding with, yep, this is what I believe, wants to twist and attack or defend themselves. My concern, obviously that can happen to any of us, but my concern is that the danger you are in is that you are beginning to practice cunning. You are beginning to move away from simply the open statement of the truth. Just say what you believe. Say what it is. And if you say, I just don't know, and I'm not willing yet to say that I don't like I that I'm not going to be a full preterist, then say that. And if you can't just say it, it tells me that you're hiding something, right? Like you're trying to keep an audience, to keep people reading your books, to keep being platformed so that you can keep teaching, so that you can probably keep making a living doing this, but you're you're not willing to just be upfront and open and honest about it. I just think that that's really, it's disingenuous uh, and 
anytime that that happens, I think we should question that that That's person. Right. Not because it's not because you can't a- actually ask questions and not because in every moment you have to respond to anybody that's asking you a question, right? right? That you don't have to do that on the internet, but be upfront. This is a big deal. Just be open about a really big deal. It's okay to do that. And yet right. you're refusing to do that, which makes me think you are a snake. Right, right. Christian theology is done in the light. It is done in public. Yep. That is how it's always been done. And that is the way to do it. And obviously I don't think Gary DeMar um, owes a random Facebook thread, like exhaustive answers to these questions. Um, now he does owe like the ministry and he does owe, like you know, he owes he like when his friends write this, like he owes them a better response. But when you choose to then jump into Facebook threads to act like this, that's what's so striking. Yes. Hey, I'm going to show up here to, just throw bombs and not say anything and then say, you guys are dumb for even asking. Let me be nasty. And I refuse to just say yes. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So here's the, here's the real bummer for your, the full preterists out there. There are, there are two things, right? Um, I think I'm going to attempt two disproofs of full preterism other than like on a, um, on a biblical theological method, because apparently all the verses pastor Michael read aren't enough somehow for these people. So let me attempt two two methods. Um, We could talk about how it's Gnostic, this idea of your, you get some kind of body in spirit. You're in a different realm. Right. So you're given a body, but it's not like the body of Christ, which again, first John says, we, we heard, we touched, we saw him, we felt him, like he he was here in our presence. He ate a meal with them. He showed up among them. Thomas puts his hands into Jesus' side and right. feels where the nails went in on his arms. Like that is <laughs> that is not a some kind of weird spirit heavenly body that has no physical right. aspect to it. And and no Christian has, other than Christ, has that kind of resurrected body. Right. No and Christian thank, has that. Yep. And thank God we will. Because we will. That, Praise that, God. Right. <laughs> that is how God is going to put everything back together. Like, yes. when you lose a child, the only thing that makes this okay is that God says, in the end, I give it all back. I yes. give it back. I give the world back. I give back what was lost to cancer. Right. And that and is not just give back, but, but like give, it's so much better, right? That's I mean, right. it's so much, so much better. It just this is a glorious resurrection that we will participate in if we are in Christ. Yes. Just, just like Jesus, because of Jesus's power, just like Jesus takes the grave and turns it into the way he saves the world. God has found a way to turn the grave into something that as heartbreaking as it is, will transform and glorify you. Wow. Yeah. And, and so, yes, Gary DeMar denying that is depressing. Yes. That, that is inherently depressing. Um, but that's not even my disproof. So the two disproofs I think there are is when Paul leaves in acts, leaves the, um, specific area of Jerusalem and the Jewish nation, how does Paul preach? Because the end of the Jewish age would would seem to have he would seem to be preaching it differently when he would go to the pagan nations, right? 
because the judgment, if there's only a judgment coming on the, the Jewish nation, if that's all they're preaching about, um, it would seem like you wouldn't be preaching that out to the pagans. But here's just a, 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 a small section of Paul's sermon at the Areopagus of Athens. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given assurance to us all by raising him from the dead. Paul's sermon to the pagans in Greece is that, and by the way, this, this, the times of ignorance don't apply to the Jews. They don't have a time of ignorance that the times of ignorance apply to the Gentile nations before the gospel goes out. Mm -hmm. So this doesn't, this isn't up to them there. Now I'm commanding you to repent because someday God will judge you. He will specifically judge you and he will judge the world by righteousness. Right. Right. So that, that, so it speaks of a, a total, complete final judgment of all right god God did not judge athens no matter how big of a deal you want to make 70 ad god did not judge athens when jerusalem fell yep i think that's pretty basic interesting when um paul is before um felix who has familiarity with the um uh with judaism he's in caesarea right and he's outside of it but he says he's he he makes this statement again and i'm only using this example and these other examples to show as pastor michael did this is everywhere in the epistles this is is. it is everywhere it's in every epistle it's everywhere and this is the 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 thing we are often missing is our gospel preaching does not emphasize this probably enough right there we probably do not follow them in preaching this as much as they do so he says to Felix, but this I confess to you that according to the way which they call sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down in the law and in the prophets, having hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So when Paul says, I'm coming, I have to give a clear answer of what I believe. I my hope is on this: there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. So a general resurrection. Yeah, what do I mean? Hyperpreterist, when he's saying, hey, there's a like you just when you die, you get resurrected in some kind of heavenly body. What happens to the unjust? Right. What happens to the ungodly? Are you saying that they also at the time of death are being resurrected somehow? Um, That's just a weird that's that's weird. And I don't know that I've heard anybody say that. Right. I don't think they I don't know. So anyways, and then and then it talks about what he continued to reason with this governor about. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was, uh, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. I suggest to you, we can still follow, and part of what the, the reasoning we have for having acts is to follow their method of preaching, that we should reason with men and with rulers about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment as we talk about faith in Christ Jesus, right? Now, that's my first proof, is that this is the apostolic preaching. My second proof is that um, full preterism, by the writing of the New Testament, has already been tried. There are clearly Christians 
who believe all that Christ has already come. They're worried that they may have missed him. Yes, that's right. Isn't that interesting? Oh, 100%. Yeah. There are, there are Christians that don't believe in a future resurrection in Corinth. There are Christians worried about missing Christ's coming in Thessalonica. Yep. And do you know what Paul says? If we don't have these things, we have nothing. He says to the Thessalonians, because of this coming of Christ, we don't grieve as those without hope. Yep. To the Thessalonians, he talks about the resurrection. If without this, we would be to be above all pitied. Yeah. Well, and by the way, so <laughs> so if you take those passages and you say, well, this is speaking about 70 AD, uh, then you have to say that, well, now there's nothing like that, right? Like now there's nothing like that to look forward to. Now there's nothing like now we literally are just most to be pitied. We're literally like, no, you actually, no, you you do have to grieve as one without hope because right. that like the hope is over. It's gone. It, it already happened somehow. Weird. Is tied to the event. Yes. Futurist to right. future. Um, and you, obviously you're saying that in some sense, I am existing in the eternal state and this is, and what it means to be in the eternal state from what I understand, though, I don't, I don't like dive into the like inner mural debates of heretics the what the eternal state actually is is one of the things the full preterists kind of don't they don't like they disagree about because of course they do yeah <laughs> you mean yeah. that time where we have resurrected bodies there's no death right we we have been made glorious uh, by the appearing of our glorious lord we are yeah. in complete union with him we see him face to face and you're you're telling me that that's not happening right now matt <laughs> You're telling me that somebody would be confused how that's happening right now? That, right. yeah. I mean, that's just, it's it's goofy. It is goofy. Old preterists, when they all get together and they've rented that back room in a Perkins somewhere, because that's where they all fit, um, they, uh, <laughs> they go, so guys, so the eternal state, what what do we... <laughs> is it just like here in this Perkins? Is, yeah. <laughs> is, is Perkins in the eternal state? <laughs> are these... Are these Pretty crappy pancakes, the eternal state. <laughs> is this what we're promising? Oh man, is it right? Is this the hope of glory that we give to people when we present to them the gospel that they too can debate the eternal state in a Perkins? <laughs> short answer, it's not. Uh, short answer, it is not. Oh uh, man, it's just goofy. So Pastor Michael, I don't know exactly where to land this. We will have a uh, Patreon episode coming out after this about um, some some various ways people have responded. Uh, and why it, why the cross politic guys are just nuance bros all of a sudden? Uh -oh, <laughs> if you want to hear that, that's Patreon content. That's right. It's uh, you know, um, you die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become nuanced. That's what happens. <laughs> We got to get some memes going for this one, though. Dude, Definitely I, do. I would love a teacher that you, I would love a t shirt that just said, Die a hero or live long enough to become nuanced. That's a, that's a, that's a <laughs> Pastor Michael, is there anywhere you can leave us uh, as we, as we, for, as we hopefully leave this behind forever? Um, I can tell you what, one thing we'll leave, I'm sure, is I have a feeling if any full preterists find this, they will be the least 
they will be the most humorless people in the world. Yeah, guys, <laughs> here's the deal. We have zero intention to keep talking about this. We're yeah. not going to have you on the podcast. We're, we invite everybody on the podcast. We're not inviting you on the podcast. Don't want to meet you. We'll never have you on the show. <laughs> don't want you on the show. Um, we just don't. like. We actually don't care to uh, discuss this that much more with you. Uh, we actually don't. And I know that to you that might be like, well, look, they're scared of debate. Oh, look, they like they can't handle the truth. Uh, but really, we just actually think that you are obnoxious, number one. And number two, there's no reason to give your ideas any more of a platform than we already have. Um, it's okay, by the way, for everyone else to just shut some people down. There are some people that shouldn't speak. There are some people that like they don't they there is not actually a right to their opinion. And we don't have to pretend Kids. that there is. So, uh, Pastor Michael, tell us why this this is actually a great place to end it. Tell us why what you're doing isn't just cancel culture, you, <laughs> you, you weakling. So one of the blessings that we have is that it's not just you and your Bible trying to figure stuff out. Um, it's not just you, your Bible, and instead of the newspaper, a book about 70 AD trying to figure out what all of scripture is talking about uh, because the reality is that you alone and even you like corporately in the world today, like modern man, modern Christian man, you're just, you are not going to be able to uh, build the sum total of the faith. Now I'm not, that doesn't mean you cannot be saved by reading the scripture on your own or something like that. But like you, Christianity was never made to be a, a solo sport, right? This is something that has been passed down to us. There are those who have preserved the faith and passed it down to us. And so as we think about any debate and how we try to judge what is or is not acceptable to believe or to question, uh, one of the best things that we have is the, the history of the church specifically as it's held in the creeds of the church, where we you have something that you can confess and say, okay, I know that this is the, the foundational truths of the faith. And now I can move from that. And where I have questions, I can begin to try to figure those things out. So yeah, we can debate the details of how much does an understanding of the destruction of the temple play into our interpretation of particular texts of scripture. Um, but we do so within the faith. We do so within what has been passed down to us, recognizing the, the categories, the foundational categories of the final resurrection, of the final judgment, of the bodily resurrection. Uh, we, we move forward from that place. And anytime you try to be the guy that's going to question that, you are pushing away from all of Christianity, right? You are pushing away from the faith as it has been delivered to us. And not the faith that somebody just made up, but the faith that the apostles themselves uh, have made known and as is then summarized in things like the Apostles' Creed in the Nicene Creed. So that's where I guess I would leave it. Don't do that. And hey, if you want to learn more about the Apostles' Creed, we're working on it. And you can find some of the, the first couple episodes, but we'll keep working on that uh, as a resource to you as we walk through that together.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, we hope you learned something. We hope we encouraged you in the hope we all share as Christians and to never let anyone steal it from you. So subscribe to the YouTube channel um, and uh, follow the show.